Hey, a couple of special greetings as we, as we begin. I want to give a, just a, a special greeting to everybody who's uh, on the Facebook stream or who's on the online church platform. I love you. I, last Sunday, I was not here, I, but I got to worship online. And, um, as, and I, I realized there's actually more people watching online than are in this room. And that's true every week. And so I want you to know that we, we see you. We don't see you, but we love you. We know you're there. And, um, and, and just special welcome. And I thank you for being faithful to uh, have that time of worship. I actually had a kind of a sweet uh, rhythm of, of sitting with my family and um, not having to get too dressed up and that sort of thing. So uh, it's good to worship in all ways. So welcome, welcome. And I want to give a special welcome to all the kids who are in the room. It is so good to see you and hear you. And it brings me so much joy that, um, that you're coming to church and that you're having a good time here. And so we are so glad that you're here, every one of you. So welcome, welcome. Okay, I've got uh, some background things to catch up on with you, uh, some, some announcements to make. And I want to kind of start this message with a few things. One, the Christmas offering. So last month, the Krugnallis were here, and we had set a goal of raising $30,000 to furnish the new emergency room at the Tenwick Hospital in Kenya with a new medical equipment. And I got an email late December, right before New Year, said, I think we just passed the $30,000 mark. So praise God. <laughs> And because of the speed of U.S. mail and some of your uh, procrastination or however you want to describe it, more money came in. So we actually had a surplus that the missions committee, so we're getting the $30,000, the check is gone, headed to Kenya, and we have uh, some, some surplus that the missions committee will be able to bless other ministries beyond, uh, beyond this, this one with our Christmas offering. So praise God. Every year, we sort of set these goals, and we think, you know, okay, we, we, we trust God, we think this is reachable, but this year especially, like, ooh, $30,000 during the pandemic, and, 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 uh, and God's people were so generous, so big gifts and small gifts, and it all added up, and it was just, came in just right. Uh, praise God. Also, in December, I got this beauty, recently, it's, uh, it's a notice, uh, Enterprise Bank and Trust Company of uh, Merrimack Street, Lowell, holder of a mortgage in the Free Christian Church of Andover, dated November 1, 2004, which is when that mortgage was initiated, <clears throat> uh, recorded in the Essex North Register deeds, so on and so forth, acknowledges satisfaction of said mortgage, hereby discharges said mortgage, and it's notarized, and it's done. So, what ha- so we, pay- we paid off, the-, the-, the church's mortgage is completely paid off. What happened was this. Um, in- in also this fall, we-, we voted together as a congregation to purchase the property next door, um, the-, this- the grass lot with the associated lot next to it with the building. And the next day, uh, family came in to the church and said, um, for a number of reasons, just being faithful to God's resources to them and um, thinking about how to best uh, to use their resources, said, we want to make a gift of $1 million to the church. And we want to make sure that the mortgage of the church is paid off and that the remainder of that gift goes to the new lighthouse project, the lighthouses we're calling this building over here. And so that will go uh, towards that project. So... Um, 
But it wasn't just a one-time, $1 million gift that did this. That, that did pay off the, the last of that mortgage. But that mortgage that started in 2004 was faithfully paid through our operating. So gifts of $10 and $20 and small gifts. And then, uh, of course, this big gift to, to finish it off. And there were folks who, over the years, had, uh, had wanted to do extra giving to pay down the principal of the mortgage. And there were years when our operating was way behind. And so we're just, just barely getting by to pay that mortgage down. And, and um, to have this gone is great. Now you say, well, aren't you just going to get a new mortgage on the new property? And so, so yes, but... That will be its own entity, and it will be self-supporting until we're ready to, to you know, redevelop that building for ministry purposes. Uh, so it, this separate entity, which will become the lighthouse, uh, the FCC lighthouse, um, is, you know, be, is, is separate. And we will be unencumbered here with our property. So praise God. That's a huge, huge milestone in the life of the church. And, um, and thirdly, Separate from the, the, the mortgage and the Christmas offering was our normal operating. And we, as we sometimes do in the fall, were behind, lagging behind. Um, and that operating deficit was completely closed. And we finished the year with a, with a, a bit of a surplus. We're very strong position. And, and all this is happening in this pandemic year. All this is happening with everything else that's going on. We've been able to, yeah, praise God. And, and people, we know that people in our community are struggling greatly financially, and yet uh, God continues to provide. And so this has just been kind of astounding. We've been hiring, as you know, we've been hiring and, and uh, filling some of the, the gaps in our staff team, and, and we're so excited. Chrissy's starting next month, and, and it's, this is just so good. But here's the danger, having announced all that. So praise God for all of it, and we can have, be heart full of joy. Here's the danger in me even saying these things. There is a danger that we can, um, we can become confident, that we can feel safe. Like, oh, yeah, our finances are in order. We own our properties. We, we um, become complacent in that. Now, security is good, financial security in the church. So it means that there's good stewardship. It means that there's health. It means that people are trusting God. But the danger is that we can become overconfident and even careless and that's what we're talking about today in this Amos text as we continue the journey through the prophet Amos. We're talking about the sin of complacency. And he begins this message, Woe to you who become complacent, or who have become complacent. And so collectively and personally, complacency is a great sin. It was a sin in the day of Amos, and it's a sin in our day. If any one of us as individuals or collectively as a, as a church or even as a nation, if we were to become complacent, uh, we are not living as God intended. God has, we see all throughout scripture that we are commended to be vigilant and active in our faith. Ephesians 5 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Every human endeavor is, uh, is prone to fail because we live in a world that's broken by sin. And there's disaster, natural disaster, and there's pandemics, and there's war, and there, there's civil wars, and um, a potential, there's always a potential for calamity. Now, as a nation, I don't believe that we are on the verge of civil war, as some people are you know, kind of alarming um, in these days. But you look at this year, and you see the 
uh, you know, violence in our country, and, and you think, wow, things can go from peaceful to violent in a, in a snap. And so we always know that there's, you know, evil is, is lurking. And then in 1 Peter 5, Scripture says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So not only do we have the evil and sinfulness of the world, but we have an enemy who is seeking to do harm to us. And not only that, Jesus taught again and again, you know, the, the world as we know it will not just go on forever the way it is, that he's coming back to fulfill his kingdom, to, to judge and to usher in uh, the, the heavenly kingdom, that the new heavens and the new earth will be established. And we need to be vigilant and alert and watching out. Jesus again and again, he says, watch out, be alert, do not let, uh, do not let me find you sleeping when that day comes. So complacency is a great sin, but the, the, the biggest problem with complacency is that if you struggle with the sin of complacency, you may not even know it. Because complacency just isn't vigilant. It doesn't care. It's not paying attention. So you could easily fall into this and not even know it. Here in, in the day of Amos, God's people had become very complacent. And for us today, I just ask, is there something that God is nudging you to today? Is there any way, perhaps, that maybe you have become complacent in your faith? And I'm asking myself that same question. Are there any areas of my life where I've become complacent and that God is calling me to move forward, to repent from that, to be vigilant, and to, to, to press forward. That is our, um, that's our question today. So let's pray as we begin. Dear Father God, I just pray, um, I ask that you would, as a loving Father, that you would gently nudge us, that you would, and if we need more than a gentle nudge, Lord, that you would just do what you need to do to help us to, to wake up, to be alert to what you're doing and what you're calling us to. Search our hearts. You know our hearts better than we do. Show us your way in this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so specifically, thinking of complacency, I want to give three, three symptoms of complacency that we see in this text here uh, from Amos. There, the three symptoms are ignoring, indulgence, and indifference. First of all, ignoring. Verse 1 says, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Woe to you, he says. You think you're safe. You think you're secure. You are not. Again and again, the message has been to obey God. Seek God and live. Pastor Dan last week pre preached that message. Seek God and live. Seek God and uh, seek the Lord and live. To know life that is truly life, you need to seek God. Uh, and, but these people just ignore it. They're ignoring this message to seek and obey God. And they say, hey, we're foremost nation. You know, we're notable men. We're, we're leaders in our nation. People come to us for advice. You know, we're doing pretty good. They look at, in verse 2, they're comparing themselves to their neighboring nations and say, hey, we're not in bad shape. We're doing pretty good. Now, there were good reasons why the nation felt this way. They were successful. They were prosperous. They had peace from their enemies. And God promised them that if they followed his way, if they followed God's way, that they would have prosperity, that they would have peace from their enemies. But the problem is they achieved that peace and prosperity, and instead of giving God the glory and continuing to trust him, they said, hey, we did it in our power. Look how good we are. 
So their confidence was not in God, but in themselves. And for anyone, any one of us, if we feel that, hey, you know, I have everything I want, you know, what do I need God for? If I can provide for my needs, then why do I listen to a pesky prophet like Amos or a pastor on a Sunday? You know, God, the, the mentality is, you know, God's for the weak and needy. If I had needs, I'd ask God. If I was in need, I would seek God. But I can, you know, I'm doing okay. And easily fall into this sin of complacency. If you find that you only pray when you're in need, you know, that might be one of those indicators that this could be a thing for you. And, and, and this is specifically, verse 1, these are notable men. These, these are leaders. These are perhaps government leaders even that are specifically targeted here by Amos. And that's, it's, you know, people in power. It's easy to misuse power. It's easy to gain a certain status in life and feel like, yeah, you know, actually, I'm uh, more of a giver than a receiver. And then, you know, you become self-confident and you can ignore God's voice just like they did. The result in verse 3 is, is this. It says, you put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. That's actually kind of hard to interpret because you're putting off disaster, but you're bringing near terror. How do you put off and bring near at the same time? It's kind of a poetic language Amos is using here, but basically saying, you know, you think you're so great and you think that disaster is very far away from you, but you have no idea that it is so close, that you're actually bringing it in, that you're on the verge of ruin. Reminds me of uh, an event happening today called Ping Pong with the Pastor. And our youth pastor, Kathy, has uh, set up this event, and I am to, uh, students are challenging me to ping pong, and Pastor Dan and Pastor Kathy. And um, they have been, they've signed up, and they have been uh, confident in trash-talking. I'm going to beat the pastor at ping pong. They have no idea the terror that is awaiting them. These middle schoolers have not seen my forehand smash. When they see the ping pong ball whizzing by them, looking more like an aspirin tablet, their confidence will be shaken. Now, they win their little family tournaments when they play in the basement with their buddies. That's great. Some of the older students have seen me play ping pong. They know what I'm talking about. And this is a good analogy. Because here's here's a whole nation of people. We're doing great. We're prosperous. We're secure. And the terror is coming. For us, the the symptom of ignoring, we cannot ignore the warning signs. Any person of faith could could be somebody who becomes numb to God's voice, who just sort of ignores it. And when God is prompting and when God just is signaling to you, you have to pay attention. We must respond in faith. So ignoring is the first symptom. The second symptom of complacency is indulgence. Let's walk through these verses, starting in verse... Let me just read this. Verse 4 through 6. You lie on beds adorned with ivory. You lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs, fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David... Improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. All these indulgences. Ivory. You have all these things that are inlaid with ivory. It's one thing to be wealthy in the ancient world and you have coins and you have money. But to have these ornate things, anything inlaid with ivory was very lavish and, and very much a status symbol. Very expensive. 
And they're lounging on couches. They had fancy furniture. The image isn't just that they had a couch, but they're lounging or they're sprawled out on their couches while other people are toiling. They're eating the choicest of meats, the tender, grade-A lamb and the perfectly fattened calves. And I say, oh, Lord, please don't let this be a sin to eat good meat because Pastor Dan would be in big trouble to eat fine meat. But they're eating just the choicest of everything. The music, they're just playing their harps, thinking they're somehow like David. And the, the sad irony is that King David, very famous Old Testament king, uh, had a real heart for God. God gifted him to play music. And he used his music to worship God. And here the people are using worship to just waste their time and play away, thinking there's some, something great. And the wine. Again, not that wine is bad. It's the size of the container that you drink it out of. You're drinking bowlfuls of wine. The word there is something with kind of an open top like that. So, you know, instead of a little goblet or a dainty little flute of wine, you know, you're just drinking out of the punch bowl. And then the lotions and the oils, you know, pleasure at any cost. And we think about even today, you know, the amount that we could spend on beauty products and making ourselves look beautiful. And some of us, it takes more work than others. I, you know, you'd be surprised to hear I do use some hair product. And I do, you know, I try to buy it in bulk and, you know, be um, a good steward of that. But, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with, with making yourself look presentable or using deodorants and using these kind of things. But this, the image here is just over the top. We think about in our world the ways that we could do that. You know, people spending tens of thousands of dollars on surgeries to uh, slim things down and plump things up depending on where, you know, what you're looking for. You could spend a lot of money and just indulge in these things. And the image here is just over the top, wasteful indulgence. So you say, well, okay, pastor, if that's a symptom of, of complacency, should I just avoid? Like if, if I'm offered a raise, maybe I should have, you know, avoid that. Or um, should I not own a nice house or nice furniture? You know, should I not run for political office if I could you know, become a person of power that might tempt me? No, I would say most people can handle an increase in salary without it drawing them away from the Lord, without becoming wasteful with it. There are politicians and leaders who genuinely want to serve and govern diligently and administer justice in our world. They're not just out for selfish gain and to make a name for themselves. You can have a nice home. You can have nice furniture without deriving your, your sense of value from those things. It's not those things themselves. It's the role that they play in your life. Money, possessions, even meat, yes, and, and wine, those things aren't necessarily bad. It's about wanting more and more of it. It's about misusing it, flaunting it, um, and also your willingness to not have it. Are you willing to do menial labor or associate with people who, who might otherwise be seen as lower than yourself? And, and again, this is not just a message to wealthy people. They're very kind of middle-class people who have access to credit, who often extend themselves way beyond their means to have nicer and better things to show, you know, they're somehow find some status in that. Even poor people can chase after wealth. You know, 
spending you know, too much money on uh, scratch tickets or lottery things. And we had two huge lotteries this week. And, and, and that's, you know, it's great to think about, you know, winning money. But there are these products, these lottery products become very predatory against people of low income who don't have an extra dollar or two to spend on a ticket, but who, are, who need that money for other things. And, and it's it, the, the desire at any income level, you could have a desire just for more and more. And that's the problem of indulging. And so money's not the problem. We're, we are the problem. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God came to this earth. Like, God came from his heavenly throne and, and took on the human condition, became very poor. Jesus himself said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. The prophet Isaiah, describing God's servant, describing the Messiah, Jesus, says, he, has, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. That Jesus had nothing lovely or beautiful or status or anything to flaunt, just the message of the good news of the kingdom that was at hand in his life and ministry, and ushering in that kingdom by giving his life ultimately on the cross, the ultimate poverty, the ultimate casting out that we might be brought in. That's the good news of Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we need to remember that it's not about us um, acquiring and gaining, but us giving and loving as he loved us. Indulgence is a, is a, a great sign of, uh, is a deep sign of, of this complacency and of missing the point. Lastly, the third symptom we see here of complacency is indifference. At the end of verse 6, it says, You drink wine by the bowlful, Blub, blub, blub. Use the finest lotions, but you don't grieve over the ruin of Joseph. You know, these people were indulging, but they, they couldn't see the state of their nation was falling apart. Imminent ruin. Um, and when we enjoy the finest things, that's not always the moment when our hearts are really, you know, compassionate towards people in need. You know, when you're out for a fancy meal, you're not thinking about all the you know, people who don't have that. You're just enjoying yourself. But when you're suffering and when you have a need, your heart really goes out to others. As many of you know, my father passed away earlier this month. And so my heart, in a deeper way, goes out to people who are experiencing loss and grief in their lives. It's amplified. When everything's going fine in my family and everything's going, everybody's healthy, it's easy to forget that many people are struggling and many people are grieving. It's not when things are great that our hearts are most inclined necessarily towards those in need. Um, in fact, when things are going really well, it's easy to become preoccupied with ourselves. You know, I'm focused on my comfort, my safety, my pleasure, and then the eyes get off of people in need. You know, I'm pampering myself while other people suffer. I, I believe. I believe in good things. I believe that recreation is good, that enjoying good food is a good thing, and th that that can be an act of worship. But um, we need to remember that all around us there is poverty. There are people in deep need. There is in people experiencing injustices. Um, 
You know, just because I go about my day and I don't see or experience racism, that doesn't mean that there aren't people who that becomes a, a frequent thing in their life, that it's, it's around us. That they're, just because I have good friends doesn't mean there aren't people who are just deeply lonely. You know, if I'm happy, it doesn't mean that people aren't deeply grieving. If I wake up and I feel good about the day, I need to remember there are those who have deep mental health, depression, anxiety issues. In Amos's day, the people were happy, they're complacent, but sadly, they were indifferent to the condition of the world around them. They had a sick and a dying nation, and they totally ignored it. They were totally indifferent. And interesting here that Amos says, You're, you don't grieve over the ruin of the house of Joseph. He doesn't say over the house of Jacob, which would be a more common way to describe these people. He says the house of Joseph. And if we remember the story of Joseph from the Old Testament, and many of you are very familiar with the story, his brothers, Joseph's brothers, threw him into an empty well. And, and you know what they did? They ate a meal. They're just eating a meal while their brother's in an empty well. And as they're eating this meal, they see travelers coming by and they sell their brothers. They sell their brother into slavery. So the image of the house of Joseph, you think Joseph, think, I'm eating a great meal while my brother's in the well. For us, we cannot be indifferent towards people who are struggling around us. So what does that look like if I'm not indifferent? Well, it looks like, it could look like serving at a homeless shelter or a a feeding program. It could look like donating money. It could look as simple as offering to pray for somebody who's in need. It can look like listening to somebody who's lonely. It could be a big thing or small thing. It, whatever it is for you, it, it looks like people being vigilant to God's leading of how to love and to serve others. It's going to be an individual calling. It's not going to look the same for all of us, but it's about being, not being complacent, but being vigilant to what God's calling for. So that's your symptoms of, uh, of complacency. We've got ignoring, ignoring God's voice, indulging, and then indifference towards the needs of others. And here we go, verse 7. Here's the announcement of judgment. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. So, hey, Amos says, hey, party's over. All the feasting, all the lounging, party's over. And, you know, you, you foremost nation, you notable people, uh, you, you love to be first, so you're going to get it. You're going to get to be first. You'll be first in line for judgment. All that status you like, you get it. First and finest people, you will be the first and finest exiles. You sprawled out on the couches. Now you can just kind of sprawl out in dungeons. And you got the royal treatment your whole life. And now you're going to get the royal treatment of leading the procession of exiles. And that's what they would do. You take the prominent people, if you go in and conquer, the poor and the marginalized, you kind of leave them behind. You take the powerful people and you send them first into, into exile. Free Christian Church... Um, let's, let's not ignore any warnings that God is giving us. Um, be careful how we indulge in things and let us not be indifferent toward the plight of others. Complacency in its heart is selfishness. My needs are met. May we be people who go through our days open to the needs of others and those around us, ready to give and to serve. Let us pray. Father, Whatever you're prompting in our hearts, whatever you're prompting in my heart through this, Lord, just help us to be obedient. 
Your Holy Spirit is a spirit that transforms, that changes us. So we do ask that you would do your work on our hearts to change us, to, to follow you and to follow your way, that we might love and serve excellently, that we'd be vigilant and alert in every way. We thank you that you are a good, good God and a loving Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.